Amen. Thank you. Thank you very much, David, choir, worship team, for leading us to the throne this morning. I'm a mess, so let's pray together. Father, I just pray in the next few moments that, uh, God, you would help me to preach like a dying man preaching to dying people. God, I pray that you would amaze us once again with the power of the resurrection. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got a copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask you to open up first to Luke chapter 24. We're going to look at a text on the resurrection in just a moment. Before we do, as you're turning there, I need to ask a question. How many of you in here are parents? Anybody in here that's a parent today? Okay, so many of you are parents. Most of us are parents. Many of you are probably parents of someone still living in your home, uh, even maybe a young child or, or maybe someone who's in their 20s or 30s and it's about time for them to leave, but they're still there. I don't know. But How many of you in here are perfect parents? All right, anybody? Okay, okay, a couple of you. Thank you, Vicki, for, for, for that. We will be, we'll all be meeting with Vicki right after church to see how she does it. None of us in here are perfect parents, and especially when it comes to trying to figure out how we take these, these people in our home who have an, an inborn, inherent sinful nature and shape them to understand who God is and who Jesus Christ is. And so one of the things that we want to do is strengthen families here at Central Park Baptist Church. And one of my favorite authors right now and speakers is a guy by the name of Paul David Tripp. And Paul David Tripp has probably as, as best a grasp on the gospel and the implications of the gospel in our personal lives as anybody that I've ever met. Paul Tripp is going to be doing a live stream of a parenting conference coming up on the first weekend of May. And on the back of your worship guide, there's some information about that that we want to share with you. It's a Friday night and a Saturday, and we will be hosting that here and, and be giving that free of charge to anybody who wants to come, parents, grandparents, anybody who wants to come and be a part of that. It'll be going on for about three hours on Friday night and about three hours on Saturday morning. Even if you can't make all of the sessions, if you can only be here for one of those times, I would invite you to uh, consider being here and being a part of that. We will have child care available to help you and assist you with your children. And so if you need that, we need to know ahead of time that you will need that child care. And there's some information there about how you can either go and, and call our church office or also we send out emails and there's a link on the email that we send out and on the church Facebook page. We invite you to be a part of this uh, parenting conference with us. And so if you have any more questions, please call and let us know. Well, as we've already said, we're here to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, and today we gather to celebrate the incredibly good news that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is not dead, but He has risen from the grave. We gather to worship around the words that the angel spoke to the women on that first Easter Sunday morning when He said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And for thousands of years, Christians have gathered just like us around this moment to remember and to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the core tenet of our Christian faith. And likewise, for thousands of years, skeptics have tried to contradict the Christian movement. Skeptics have argued about the validity of the Bible. They've argued about the church and the danger of institutionalized religion. They've, they've argued about the narrow-mindedness of the claims to the exclusivity of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. But the one thing that the world cannot explain away is the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
If Jesus was bodily raised from the dead, as we believe he was, then it validates everything that Jesus taught and sets him apart from every other religious leader in the world. Albert Henry Ross was an unassuming advertising agent who lived in England at the turn of the 20th century. He was a gifted writer who had a passion for words, and his passion for words and for writing led him eventually into the world of publishing under the pseudonym of a man named Frank Morrison. Albert Ross was raised and believed as a naturalist. He he had a passion for science, a passion for astronomy. And by nature, Ross was a skeptic who who did not believe in the message of Christianity nor in the reality of miracles. And while Ross had a personal admiration for the ethics and the teachings of Jesus, he did not believe the Christian message rested on firm foundation. This led him on a personal quest to examine the historical documents concerning the resurrection and along with his keen scientific mind to set out to write a paper in which he would once for all debunk the idea of a person rising from the dead. However, as he began to examine not only the gospel accounts, but the works of Josephus and other first century historical works, Albert Ross, also known as Frank Morrison, became more and more convinced that Jesus did actually bodily rise from the dead. And believing that fact, he trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, put aside his initial work, and wrote a book which became one of the classic apologetics of the Christian faith called Who Moved the Stone? You see, Frank Morris and Albert Ross discovered this truth, that once you become convicted that Jesus Christ actually did rise from the dead, it changes everything. You cannot be the same person once you come to the personal conviction that Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and the life And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And so I want us to start this morning by just reading and being fascinated once again by Luke's account of the resurrection in Luke chapter 24, beginning in verses 1 through 12. I'm going to ask you if you would, in honor of God's word, would you stand for just a moment while we read this passage and read what Luke tells us about the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Luke writes, On the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Would you have a seat, please? My prayer is today that as we examine the implications of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will go home like Peter, marveling at what happened. We are talking 
about redemption and the two primary agencies that God uses to secure our redemption, the cross of Jesus Christ and the empty tomb. Last week we examined the cross of Jesus Christ and and because Jesus was crucified on the cross, what does that mean for us and how does that secure our redemption? Today we're looking at the empty tomb of Jesus Christ and saying because Jesus rose from the dead, what does that mean for us and how does that secure for us our redemption? Just by way of review in your notes, I want to remind you of what we mean in the church when we talk about redemption. What does that word mean? Well, redemption means to loose something from a bond, to set something free from captivity or slavery. Redemption also means to buy back something that was lost or sold, to exchange something in one's possession for something else, to pay a ransom. And so when we talk about the doctrine of redemption, when we talk about Christians being redeemed people, we mean that Jesus Christ, because of His death and resurrection, has loosed us from a a bond, from an enslavement. He has set us free from our captivity to sin. He has bought us back with with the purchase of a ransom with His own blood, and that we are redeemed people. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the central hub upon which the entire Christian message turns, and it's the central foundation for the doctrine of redemption. The one thing that sets Christianity apart from every other world religion is that Christianity alone claims that not only did God in heaven send His eternal Son to this world to take on human flesh, but that He also sent Him to die on the cross to absolve the sins of His people. And then once the eternal Son of God had been crucified, He was buried in a borrowed tomb, and three days later He rose bodily from the grave. Only the Christian message, only the gospel proclaims that message. And you see, every other world religion is grounded in a person who eventually died and whose bones still occupy their grave, but not Jesus Christ. He is not dead, He is alive. But I want you to think for a second, have you ever stopped to consider what would have happened if Jesus Christ had simply died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, but was still in that tomb 2,000 years later? What would happen if if there were no empty tomb? What would happen if Jesus had simply died and his followers would have placed his body in that tomb? Would it make any real difference in our lives today if Jesus Christ was still in the grave? Well, I can tell you with absolute biblical conviction the answer to that question is yes. Because you see, the empty tomb of the Lord Jesus miraculously validated every single claim that He was the Messiah, the Son of God. You see, if Jesus Christ was still in a borrowed tomb, He would simply have been seen as another religious troublemaker by the Pharisees and the Roman government. It was the apostles' firsthand sight of the risen Lord Jesus that empowered them to believe again and to boldly declare the gospel even to the point of giving their own lives for the message. But you see, in Paul's day, there were still many people who questioned the entire idea that a body could raise from the dead. You see, it was mostly unheard of before Jesus' followers began to proclaim that He had risen. And so Paul writes to the church at Corinth to address the resurrection and to tell us the personal implications for the resurrection in our lives. If you have a copy of God's Word, I want you to turn from Luke chapter 24 to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This will make the bulk of our sermon for today, this text, where Paul is talking to us about the implications of the resurrection. 
And so I want to read for you 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 19. Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas and to the Twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely unborn, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then even Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And we are found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it's true that the dead are not raised. And if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The first thing I want you to see is the critical importance that Paul places in verses 1 through 4. Paul says to us that, that in verse 3, I delivered to you as of first importance. In other words, what Paul is telling us here is that out of the thousands of messages that you hear each week, none of them is more important. None of them is more critical. None of them is more life impacting than the message that Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Of the thousands of different messages that you received, none of them is more important than what you are about to hear. Because Paul says it is this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you receive by which you stand in this world and by which you are being saved if you hold on to it. And so I want you to listen carefully for the next few moments. Because what you choose to believe and what you choose to do with the message that I am about to deliver to you in the next few minutes is the most critical thing that you will do today. What you choose to do after I finish today with the news that I proclaim to you is more important than anything else you will do. Because Easter is not about putting on nice clothes and playing a religious card and checking some religious boxes to appease your conscience. It is not just enough to believe in your head the facts of what I am about to read to you and proclaim to you. But you must believe these facts with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with every fiber of your being. Because if Jesus Christ has been bodily raised from the dead, it changes everything. And you cannot leave that truth unchanged. The most important message according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is this. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that He was buried and that He was raised to life on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. Last week we saw 
a few personal declarations about the cross and what it says about our redemption. Today I want us to see four personal declarations of the empty tomb. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul makes four declarations here. Now these four statements are not all that the empty tomb declares for us, but according to this passage, it does declare for us these four things. And the first of those is this, because of the empty tomb of Jesus Christ, my faith is not futile. Because of the empty tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ, my faith is not futile. Now I want to take just a moment here for a a moment of personal confession. I'm not necessarily proud to confess this, but I was a hairband guy in the 1980s, okay? I grew up in the decade of big hair and loud music. Can I have a witness, anybody? Okay. And while I'm a pastor... I'm still fighting the flesh, and so oftentimes I can get my, my, my radio on one of those 80s stations, playing some good 80s rock music, and, and, and I'm instantly transported back to my teenage years. One of those bands was a band by the name of Poison that once sang the song, Give Me Something to Believe In. And that song was an anthem of my generation. And sadly, I believe it is a cry that millions of people in our world still cry today because people are looking for something to believe in in a broken world. Some people believe that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere in what you believe and as long as it works for you and makes you a better person. What difference does it make if you believe in Jesus or or Buddha or Allah or no God? What difference does it really make if you sincerely believe it and if your belief in it makes you a better person and that's all that really matters? But that motto is simply not true. I'm here to tell you today that it does matter what you believe and that the substance of your belief is just as important, if not more important, than the status of your belief. What you believe in is more important than the fact that you believe. And I'm here to tell you that Christianity is not just an institutionalized religion that's based on empty religious speculation. It's not just people who believe in Jesus and because they believe in Jesus it makes them feel better. Christianity is not what Karl Marx once said is the opiate of the masses for weak-minded people. The Christian faith is grounded completely and totally on the claim by Jesus' disciples that He was raised from the dead. And without the truth of the empty tomb, the entire hope of Christianity crumbles. You see, what Paul is telling us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is it does matter what you believe because if Jesus Christ is still dead and sitting in a Palestinian tomb, then nothing else matters. It doesn't matter how powerful you believe your religion is if the founder of it is still in a grave and shackled by the chains of death. And this is why Paul says in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. How many of you have been in sermons before you thought this is a waste of time? Anybody? Some of you saying right now, right now. Some of us have probably thought before, why am I sitting here listening to somebody preaching? Why do I subject myself to coming and sitting in a hard pew for 35, 40 minutes to listen to somebody yell and shout at me. And Paul says, if if Jesus Christ is still in the tomb, then what you are doing right now is a complete waste of time. Not only that, your faith is in vain. Verse 17, your faith is worthless. 
What you believe is absolutely worthless if Jesus Christ has not been raised, and you are still in your sins. Chuck Colson was the special counsel to Richard Nixon in the 1970s. He writes about how he became convinced about the truth of the Christian message after going to prison because of his part in the Watergate scandal. And Chuck Colson was a brilliant man who came to faith in Christ in his, in his late adulthood years. In his, in his 30s and early 40s, he began to investigate what Christ said and became convinced of the absolute truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he said that the one thing that convinced him more than anything else that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead was the life and example of the apostles once they claimed to, to say that Jesus had risen from the dead. He talked about his, his part in the Watergate scandal and how he was part of a, of a cover-up from some of the most powerful men in the world who couldn't keep a lie more than 40 days. And Chuck Colson said these things. He said, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead and proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. And they would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. And you're telling me that 12 apostles could keep a lie going for 40 years? Absolutely impossible, Chuck Colson said. You see, the empty tomb of Jesus Christ doesn't just give us something, something religious, something appealing to believe in. It is the very foundation of faith in a broken and sinful world. And without the hope of the empty tomb, there is no hope and there is no reason for faith in this world. Perhaps you've lost faith recently in humanity. Perhaps you've lost faith in God's goodness or God's love over you. Maybe you've given up hope of anything good in this world, but let me tell you today that the empty tomb of Jesus Christ tells us that faith in Christ is never futile. But secondly, because of the empty tomb, my sins do not define me. Because of the empty tomb, my sins do not define me. Paul says that in, in verse 17 when he says, if Christ has not been raised, not only is your faith futile, but you are still in your sins. What does he mean by that? Didn't Jesus die on the cross to, to bear the price of our sins? And didn't, don't we celebrate the fact that Jesus died to appease God's wrath for our sin? Why would that not be true if Jesus didn't raise from the dead? Well, first of all, let's remember this truth, that sin is the reigning reality of every person on this planet from the time we are born. When Adam and Eve fell from their position of perfection... They brought with them the seed of sin into the heart of humanity. And so every person born in this world is born with the seed of sin embedded in our hearts. And this sin separates us from God. The Bible tells us that, that sin has, has separated us from God, that it has caused us to, to walk away from Him, that it has created a, a, a wall that we cannot overcome, and that ultimately sin leads to spiritual death. The Bible says not only have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but that the penalty, the wages, the price of that sin is death, eternal death. That's why Paul will say in just a few verses 
1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 21, he will say, As by a man came death, and in Adam all die. What does that mean? It means that sin and death define our lives from birth, and that every person on this planet sins because sin defines who we are. We are not called sinners because we occasionally make mistakes. We are sinners because when we come into this world, we have a heart that is bent towards sin and doing things our way instead of God's way. But when Jesus went to the cross, He went to the cross as our sin bearer. And He bore our sins in His body on that cross. And not only that, because sin brings death, Jesus died under the weight and the curse of those sins. And so the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there cannot be the remission of sins And that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who shed His blood to cleanse us from our sin. But listen carefully. If Jesus had just died and not rose again, He would be just like all of those sacrificial lambs that people had given for thousands of years that gave their life and then once they did, their carcasses were discarded. If Jesus Christ had not risen from the dead, He would be no different than all of those other lambs that were slain for the remissions of sins for thousands and thousands of years. People did not stop sinning in the Old Testament once a sacrifice was offered. Sin still had power over them, which is why they had to go back to the temple every single year to offer another sacrifice for sin. But when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, He defeated the power of sin. And not only that, he paid, he not only paid sin's price, but he broke sin's curse. This is why Paul will say, as by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. As in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. The reason why we gather here and sing a song that says, Behold our God is because we come to sing to a risen Savior who is risen from the grave, and because of that, the rule and reign of sin in our lives is broken. And that we are no longer defined as a people by our rebellion against God, but we are defined as a people by Christ's perfect obedience to God and His sacrifice on our behalf. Because of the empty tomb, your sins do not no longer define you, but if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior then the good news of the gospel is not good news to you yet. If you've never trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, you are still living life as though Jesus didn't rise from the grave and you are still being defined by your sinful rebellion against God. The third implication and declaration of the cross is this. Because of the empty tomb, my death does not have the final word. My death does not have the final word. Verse 18 Paul says, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. But Paul says, because the curse of sin has been broken, then the agency of that curse has been broken as well. As we said a second ago, the wages of sin is death. In other words, sin brings death and destruction. Sin brings both physical death because God has placed a physical curse on humanity and on our mortal bodies. But the Bible tells us that sin brings an even greater death. It brings a spiritual death. It brings a spiritual separation from God. It creates a people who live their lives completely apart from any relationship with God whatsoever. 
And that's spiritual death. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that every single one of us at one point in time were dead in our trespasses and sins. That our sins had created a spiritual reality called death over us. And our earthly death is simply the natural and inevitable result of living in sinful bodies in a broken and sinful world. We cannot escape that reality. We can try everything to postpone it. We can try to avoid thinking about it. But sooner or later, the truth is that everyone dies. And for the person who does not have Jesus Christ as their Savior, death is the final word. For the person who does not know Christ, they live their life on their terms. They live a life apart from God. They reject God's authority and they refuse His salvation. And so there is no hope for any life and beauty beyond this world for those apart from Christ. We need to remember that everyone lives forever somewhere. And if we die physically in this world, it does not mean that we cease to exist. Because each of us was created with an eternal soul and we will live eternally somewhere. But for the person who does not trust in Christ as Savior... They will live eternally in a world completely devoid of God, completely devoid of His glory, His beauty, and His life. They will live what is called an eternal death. But for the follower of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ rose again, we have the promise of a spiritual resurrection and real life beyond this world. For the follower of Jesus Christ, death is no longer a curse to be feared. Death is a gracious doorway into a new eternal reality. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, if we have been united with Him in a death like His, that means if we have submitted to Jesus Christ as our Savior, that we've been crucified with Him on the cross. And so if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with Him." And we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin, he died once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Because of the empty tomb, not only are my sins no longer defining me, but my death no longer has the final word. I have no reason to fear the cessation of my earthly life in this world because I know as a follower of Jesus Christ, that real life awaits me in eternity. And that what we have here in this world does not even come close to comparing to what awaits the believer on the other side. This brings us to the fourth and final declaration that the empty tomb does not only declare that my faith is not futile, that my sins do not define me, that my death does not have the final word, But the empty tomb declares for me that my hope for eternal life is sure. My hope for eternal life is sure. Verse 19, Paul says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Why? Why does Paul say that? Why does Paul say if the only hope that a Christian has is in this mortal life, in this 60, 70, 80, if you're lucky, 90 years that you live in this earth, if this is the only hope that you have in Christ, 
is what's going on now. Why are we of all people most to be pitied? Because it's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ alone that gives the believer any hope for everlasting life beyond this world. You see, if Jesus Christ was just a good, moral, religious leader who inspired a lot of people and then died in belief for his cause, then he is no different than any other religious leader. And while his life can inspire us to emulate his teachings, it cannot give us eternal life beyond this world. And so as Paul makes his argument for the resurrection, he shows us that a number of things hang in the balance. The essence of saving faith, the reality of the forgiveness of sins, and even the validity of our Christian testimony. You see, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then all of us are gathering here today in some nice clothes to celebrate a lie. No wonder he says that if Jesus is still dead, that we are of all people most to be pitied. If there is nothing more to the Christian faith than a bunch of religious people getting together to celebrate something that really didn't happen, then we are proponents of the biggest lie ever. And we should feel sorry for ourselves. But I'm here to tell you this. Jesus Christ did rise from the grave. And not only that, we have a reason to celebrate here because His life gives us hope for eternal life. Look at just a few verses. It's not going to be on the screen. Look at just a few verses at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55, where Paul writes, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you that the hope of eternal life rests in the promise of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that as I said a second ago, everybody lives forever somewhere, but not everyone has eternal life in heaven. Heaven is not reserved for people who live good moral lives and try to outweigh the good or the bad with the good the best they can here in this world. Heaven is not reserved for sincere people who just want to trust in Jesus as a good religious leader. Eternal life only comes to those who place their faith and trust in the announcement that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that He was buried and that He rose on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. And once you come to believe that, everything changes. Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and because the tomb of Jesus is empty, my faith is not futile. My sins do not define me. My death does not have the final word. And my hope for eternal life is rock solid. Can you make those declarations today? Do you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ? Have you come to the point where you not only believe intellectually, yes, I believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but have you come to the point in your life where the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is the basis of your reconciliation and redemption with God? And have you come to the fact that you have believed that not only did Jesus Christ rise from the dead, but it has absolutely changed every single thing about you? See, I went to church for 19 years before I really believed that to be true. I sat in a church pew just like this, like many of you did. And we went to church probably every other week most of the time growing up. Except for a brief period of about five years where I was a teenager and it was 
actually more appealing to sit at home and watch wrestling on Sunday morning than it was to go to church. But then God got a hold of my heart as a young man and began to lead me back to Him. And as I went back to hear that same message that I had seen on flannel graph in Sunday school for years and years and years, but as God began to open up that reality to not only be something that I checked a religious box and believed in because people told me, but I believed in it because I saw the evidence of it and believed it to be true. When I came to that point in life, everything changed. God took a a young man who, who had lived his life for himself and totally changed me, gave me hope, gave me confidence, gave me assurance, grounded me that no matter what happens in my life, that I have a God who loves me and that he has proven his love for me by sending his son to die on the cross for my sins. And it wasn't just enough for me to hear that news. I had to believe it. And so one morning, I, by faith, trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. In just a moment, we want to give you the opportunity to do that very same thing. Perhaps today you've heard a lot of stuff about Jesus all of your life, but you've never come to the point in your life where you've trusted Him to be the Lord and Savior. And because of the empty tomb that you've come to celebrate here this morning, you can now say, I know that He is alive. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living whatever men may say. I want to give you an opportunity to trust the Lord as your, as your Lord and Savior in just a moment. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer. And after I finish praying, David and our, and our worship team will lead us in a song of invitation. As we sing this song for the church, just to once again proclaim our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to offer you the opportunity to place your personal faith in the Lord today. And so maybe you're here today and you know that Jesus died on the cross and that he rose from the grave, but you've, you've never trusted that fact with your heart. And today the Holy Spirit is calling you and saying, I want you to, to come to me. I want you to trust me with your life. I want you to confess me as your Lord and repent of your sins. And by faith, trust me. Just a moment when we sing this song, we invite you to come and place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe today you're not quite ready to walk an aisle. You're not ready to walk in front of a bunch of people that you don't know. And I can respect that. But I would invite you that before you leave today, that you would talk to me or you would talk to one of our staff, you would talk to someone and say, I need to be saved. Can you lead me to someone who can tell me how I can be right with God? In just a moment as we sing, if you want to trust the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come down. We have counselors that will be glad to talk with you and share with you how you can know the gospel and know the Lord. Father in heaven, we just come to you before we leave today and we thank you for the empty tomb of Jesus Christ and we thank you that we have something real and tangible to believe in that our sins no longer define us that our death no longer has the final word and that we have hope for eternal life sure hope because of the Lord Jesus Christ now may you impress that upon every single heart here and give us the faith to believe and the courage to respond in Jesus name we pray Amen